Our passage this morning comes from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 18, verses 28 through 30. It is part of a larger section, obviously, and uh, what we looked at last week as well. So I'm going to read, begin reading with verse 18 through verse 30, but we will look at our sermon uh, and those last three verses of our passage, verses 28, 29, and 30. Before I read our passage, let's go to the, to the Lord in prayer, asking him that he would bless the reading and preaching of his word. Our Father and our God, we come again, and we do not shrink back from coming before your throne as oft as may be, because we know, dear Lord, that all good comes from you, and any blessing that we enjoy or can enjoy must be given by you. And as we approach your word, we ask, dear Lord, uh, that you would bless the reading of it and preaching of it. I ask, dear Lord, that I would fade and Christ would be magnified. We pray that we would hear you speak to us and that we would hear you with teachable hearts, hearts ready to be corrected, hearts ready to be formed and shaped by your will, hearts ready to receive the fullness of the grace that you intend by this mercy. We ask, dear Lord, that you would indeed Settle us firmly upon Jesus Christ, that you would bless us in him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 18, verses 18 through 30. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing. Sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said, Who then can be saved? And he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, Lo, we have left all, and followed thee. And he said unto him, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or parents, or brethren, or wife, or children, for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manyfold more in this present time, and in the world to come, life everlasting. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever, and his people said, Amen. Peter's response to this interview with the rich young ruler is one that is quite understandable in many ways. Uh, Peter had, as well as James and John and uh, Andrew, uh, left his boats and his nets on the coast of the Sea of Galilee and followed Jesus Christ. We read that in chapter 5, verse 11. We read later where Matthew, who sat at the booth of custom, a publican taking the, uh, 
the, the government's uh, taxes from his people and enriching himself left that business and followed Jesus Christ. Uh, the other disciples were less sure of their occupation and less is known of them, but all of the twelve there had at least outwardly left all and followed Jesus Christ. And they are here uh, viewing this, uh, this interview with the man, and certainly they know that what Jesus is preaching is repentance and faith in himself. We saw last week uh, that Jesus is uh, preaching to the gospel and the law to this man was, was evangelism, even if it sent him away in sorrow because of his heart that was set on earthly goods. Uh, he, he, he could not let go of the world. He could not let go of himself. He could not repent of his sin and have Jesus Christ. He could not take up that cross and deny himself and follow Jesus, which Jesus tells us is required, as we shall see, of every disciple of his. And so, having heard these things, and it's not put as a question to us when we read Peter, uh, lo, we have left all and followed thee. Matthew tacks on a question to that because he would have us understand uh, the nature of Peter's question. But it's understandable. And it is a question that we often have and one that, that I want you to ponder, each of you, this morning, as we consider our text, do you deprive yourself when you deny yourself for Christ Jesus? When we hear about the duty of humbling ourselves or self-denial, do we look upon this as privation, as impoverishment, as sacrifice on our behalf to the Lord? It is possible that that is exactly what at least part of what Peter had in mind. He has heard that these things are impossible with men, but possible with God. And perhaps he's thinking, well, well, maybe we're exceptions. We have done that which the rich young ruler found impossible to do. We have left all and followed you. Perhaps we are meriting God's favor. I don't think that that is Peter's um, understanding, but Jesus's answer will cut to that as well. But we know that from chapter 17, 7 through 10, that, you know, even the servant who has done all that he is required to do has no merit. The Lord has told us to love him because our life is given to him, comes from him completely, that we ought to love him with all of our heart and all of our soul, all of our strength and all of our mind. And, and when we have done that, we've still not merited any favor because that's what we ought to do as his creation. Was Peter questioning rather than the value of that heavenly treasure to which Jesus is called the rich young ruler in verse 22? It says, Sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Well, what nature is this heavenly treasure, maybe? is Peter's question. Regardless the answer that Jesus gives, Jesus gives the answer in saying that, that what you receive in following Jesus Christ is more than you forsake. 
That's the plain reading of verses 29 and 30. Uh, Psalmist preaches itself. Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house, or parents, or brethren, or wife, or children, for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manyfold more in this present time, and in the world to come everlasting life. And the first thing that strikes us, well, the most obvious thing that strikes us, is the fact that uh, forsaking all is to receive everlasting life. Uh, That's the obvious thing that we gain. That there is the promise of everlasting life in the world to come. And it's no small good to have the Lord's favor, to have life with the Lord of heaven, to have his mercy as, 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 as is given in uh, chapter 9, verse 23 that I alluded to earlier. Uh, Jesus says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. But even in that passage is not a passage of self uh, deprivement, because he goes on to say, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is man advantage if he gain the whole world, but lose himself or be cast away? He that is ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and in of the holy angels. What Jesus says there, what we cast away, might be good in their temporary values. They might be good as vanities that pass away, but they cannot satisfy and they're nothing to be paired to the far greater weight of glory to be part of the kingdom of heaven. It's no small good to have God's favor. And we know this. I mean, it's no small good to have the favor of the, uh, the supervisor of, of our section of the county. I've benefited from a good relationship with the supervisor for the county. It takes away a lot of uh, inconveniences like speeding tickets, right? To have the favor of a governor, Or the favor of a president. The favor of a king. These are no small things. But these are all vanities compared to the favor of him who is the source of all things and the end of all things. Who is everlasting and eternal. And who has no ability to forget. No ability to fall short. No no ability to overstrip his resources. It's no small thing to have the favor of God. And of course, this eternal blessing then offsets, is such to offset any present crosses, uh, any present inconveniences. Uh, Paul will write in first, well, in Philippians chapter three, verse seven, after he lists great and wonderful benefits of being a Pharisee, He says, but these things that were gained to me, those I counted but lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I might win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. These are such things to make 
uh, to make piddling anything that it might cost us to gain. So there's that obvious eternal life. But Jesus very specifically denies that this is a sort of delayed gratification. Jesus doesn't say, as as is often the case with those uh, religions that, that tend to mimic the gospel, that suffer holiness now and you will be able to indulge yourself in paradise. The Muslim is called to forsake alcohol. So that in paradise, he might have the, the almost like the, the rock candy mountain sort of hobo song, that he might enjoy the fruit of the vine for all eternity. He is to limit himself to four wives now, so that if he makes himself a martyr for God, he might enjoy a, 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 a harem overfilling with uh, beautiful young women. That's the nature of the holiness that is preached in Islam. That lowers the holiness of God. It is to hear the lies of the devil and to call that which is good evil and that which is evil good and to endure the evil for a moment so that we can inherit what is really good and indulgent liberty. But Jesus says that those blessings that come in eternity, are also given here now. He doesn't withhold them, and he does not delay them. Verse 30, the first uh, section, uh, first part of that verse, uh, he tells us, who shall not receive manyfold more in this present time and in the world to come, everlasting life. Now we tend, we tend to qualify that, and there are qualifications to be made. Uh, it's not that, you know, you're denying your family, like you're stepping out on your wife or the Jesus Christ and your responsibilities, and, and therefore God will give you many more. Now, sometimes what you lose, God restores in kind. The book of Job, we find that. Job was a wealthier man after his trials than before. Job had a larger family after his trials than before. Uh, Though we cannot and should not and will not read Job with the understanding that the children he had after his trials were replacements for the children he had before. No, they were tokens that God was not angry with him and that he was not a sinner. And they were comforts to him. And Peter, we read, uh, we read earlier in the Gospels that he has a mother-in-law. We read in, from Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 that he carried around with him his family. And, and you might say, well, he didn't leave his wife and children. But he left those, those responsibilities of, of the normal domestic happiness to, to live and, and cultivate a family and, and be master of his home and, and to promise, give what is incumbent upon a husband to give his wife a safe place to live and stability. And all of them, for the sake of the work of Jesus Christ, he called Peter to, led itinerant lives in jeopardy of life, in jeopardy of, of, of resources. So yes, Peter was not wrong to say that he left all to follow Jesus Christ. 
that the, the, the benefits that he gives or, or the blessings he gives are in quality greater than what is forsaken, even if they're not in kind the same. Because to the Lord, and we see this in our passage, to the Lord, riches are not necessarily blessings. Riches kept the rich young ruler from following Christ Jesus. Political power and a a reputation for wisdom made it so that Festus told Paul, almost you convince me to be a Christian. The love of this present world caused Demas to forsake Paul in his hour of need. But what we do gain, we gain virtue. We gain power over sin. And even if it's not perfect, it is nevertheless real that we do find Satan crushed under our feet, that he gives the virtues of godliness, of justice, of moderation, of love and mercy. These are real benefits. He gives peace of conscience that though we sin, we know that we have peace with God, our Father, through Jesus Christ. He gives the benefits of love, love to God, love to our neighbor, and to be loved of God and to be loved of our neighbor that we enjoy right now. And in fact, if we find ourselves in want, we enjoy the communion of the saints, the sharing of our resources, that we are bound by those ties of love to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. These are true treasures. Particularly that that calls us to taste even now those eternal treasures. Peter says, and he's speaking, note what he speaks of as present and as future. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, he says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and our Jesus Christ our Lord, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that has called us to the glory and virtue. So we have the present, everything that we need to life and godliness, and that future to that glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers even now of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lusts. That we might partake of life everlasting now. And we do in Christ Jesus. We do when we are victorious over that which would draw us back unto death. So we have virtue, peace of conscience, love. And these all engender in us, create in us, they ennoble us, they create a noble spirit. Uh, You know, we don't really have as class structure of a society is, is used to be common in America and certainly in, in Great Britain and in places where you have kings and nobles and commoners and all that sort of thing. But one of the things that set apart the ennobled spirit or in America the old money from the new money 
is a certain sort of relaxment with power and, and uh, an easiness with wealth uh, that, you know, the new money knows what he did to get it and is therefore very jealous and, and wants to create all the distinctions between the poor and himself and, and exalt and magnify his wealth. Where old money tends to, at least as the stereotypes, tends to be easy uh, with wealth and poverty. Well, in the same, that's a noble spirit. A true nobleman doesn't, is not threatened in his nobility, his blue blood, by the commoners and the hoi polloi, and he can be generous and is supposed to be generous. That's his goal and role in a society that is structured by class. Grace does the same thing because the, the source of the nobleman's generosity is his firm assurance in his privileges. The source of the old money uh, is easiness with people is his firm assurance in his money. But all of these things, I mean, the very fact that we don't have noblemen today... And, and we all know that, that wealth is, even old wealth, is a flighting thing and can disappear. But to have the favor of heaven, as I said before, is no small thing. And that godly contentment ennobles us against any and every trial. You look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and the many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith, and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. As I said before, Peter, Paul very clearly shows that oftentimes what we consider to be blessings are really in themselves snares and burdens. But as Paul writes in chapter 4 of Philippians, verses 7 through 11, Excuse me, 11 through 13. He says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed to be both full and hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. In other words, in that nobility of spirit, that contentment and godliness that Paul has, that each and every one of us can have and does have in Christ Jesus... Neither poverty nor wealth will be a burden, nor will the lack thereof be something we're anxious about. We could have that nobility of spirit against any sort of trial. As Paul says in Romans 8, 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? And if it weren't for the fact that we were aware that we have that privilege and that favor, not by our own deeds, but by the deeds of Jesus Christ and his mercy, it would make us the most proud and sufferable nobles in all the world. It shouldn't make us proud. 
but it should give us that godly contentment, that heavenly treasure that lasts in the face of any sort of temptation, any sort of privation. So the question is, do you deprive yourself when you deny yourself for Christ Jesus? Jesus' answer is emphatically no. Self-denial is not the same thing as self-depredation. And this is where you and I often stumble. We don't, because we give ear to the world, we give ear to the present circumstances, we give ear to uh, the vagaries of our moments, the, the tyranny of what is pressing in the time right now. And what we tend to do is to call those blessings that Jesus calls us as ephemeral, wishful thinking sort of blessings. And we look at the blessings that the devil puts before us as valuable for all eternity as the only thing that is really valuable. And we don't seek the blessings because we don't see them as such. And we're like the rich young ruler in verse 23 who sorrowed because he had many great possessions. He didn't look upon self-denial as self-enrichment. He looked upon self-denial as losing what he had. He had really good things. But we have to be like Paul to recognize even our really good things apart from Christ are filthy rags. The publican and the Pharisee in the temple... The Pharisee did not go away justified because he was satisfied with his filthy rags, his false righteousness. The publican went away righteous even though he had nothing to commend himself because he didn't commend himself and threw himself upon the mercy of the Lord. And that's the second way that that we stumble is even when we do deny ourselves. We deny ourselves as if We were making sacrifices that put God in our debt. Again, like that Pharisee. But he is the God that created all things. The cattle on a thousand hills are his. He doesn't need our goodness. And anything that we could offer to him, uh, if we examined them closely, we'd find that they are filthy rags. When we deny ourselves, what we're denying is those filthy rags. We're making a really good bargain. We're trading, we're trading something that is worthless for that pearl of great price that can never disappoint. The problem is, when we have a view of the blessings of the gospel as something more akin to burdens, we treat godliness like we treat dieting. Uh, we have to deny ourselves and, 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 and endure all these burdens for some hope for gain. And just like when we diet and we don't lose the pounds that we want to lose and the time that we want to lose them, we give up, right? And we're like Demas, who've served Paul for a while. But because he loved this present world and was finding none of it in his ministry to Paul. He left them. 2 Timothy 4.10 But as I said, self-denial is not self-depredation. Christ calls you to positive good. 
The call of the gospel is not just a, a negative good, that you have your bad canceled. It is that. To have sins canceled is a wonderful thing in the foundation of the positive good. But it's not just that, that we are escaping the judgment of God due to us for our sins. It's that we are given that liberty to actually be holy even as he is holy. That he calls us to a life shaped by virtue, by love, goodwill to our neighbor, and the reception of goodwill from God and our neighbor in its turn. I mean, even if, if somebody takes Christ in a superficial way and does not really truly follow him to everlasting life, when a society is Christian in name only perhaps, but in name at least, it creates a society that does good for mankind. And we're only really seeing the fullness of the blessings, the, the temporal present blessings as we watch the Christian aspect of our society disappear and all the good that came with it also draining out. We're living on borrowed capital and have been for some time. But of course, the real treasure is that eternal life that partakes of divine love now and into eternity and that therefore nullifies even the vanities of this present life so that we can say in a way that others cannot say. You know, we, we, again, we're living in a society that, that doesn't really live for the future. And nobody is now building up institutions to, to, that they might benefit future generations. Nobody is d- denying themselves to, to benefit their children. Nobody is, is really holding on and carrying the torch of responsibility to, to maintain those good institutions that, that we inherited And we do that because we have lost that eternal life and that hope for it. But when we have it in Christ Jesus, we can have said to us, like Paul says to those considering the resurrection at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my beloved brethren, on the basis of that eternal life and divine love that we have with Jesus Christ, be ye steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That is a good that the world cannot claim. Empires rise and fade. Houses and names rise and fade. Wealth rises and fades. Pleasure almost becomes disappointment in its its fullness. But Christ gives that which is good now in the present a hundredfold better than the world can offer on its own. And in the life to come, life everlasting. Let's pray. Father and our God, we come before you this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. And we ask that you would confirm your word to us today. That we would know that all that we get rid of, all that we let go for the sake of your word, for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in conformity to your law, is but filthy rags. And all that we gain, all that we gain is eternal. 
all that we gain will never be taken from us in Jesus Christ. And we ask your Lord that you would write that firmly upon our hearts, that we might go forth here recognizing and praising you for that great good that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen.